Today's scripture reading is taken from the book of Luke, chapter 2, verses 18, excuse me, verse 8 through 14. Again, that's Luke, chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. And it reads, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and hearing of his word. Amen. Well, again, once again, is that time of year. The blessed season is here. Indeed, it is upon us. And I find that the older I get, the quicker it comes. You find that to be true. I remember when I was young, Christmas couldn't get here soon enough. It just felt like it took all year for Christmas to come. And the older I get, it seems that page has turned awfully quick. And when most of us, when most people think about Christmas, indeed, we think of Christmas trees and, and, and wreaths. We think of, of gifts. We think of lights and, and, and mistletoes. We, we think of ornaments. We think of office parties where people drink too much eggnog. Phil? For many of us, it means Charlie Brown and the, and the Grinch and Rudolph. If you're like me, if you think anything like me, then... One of the blessed things it means, it means singing. It means the songs of the season. I mean, the church loves to sing. The church has always loved to sing. God's people have always sung. And if we understand our Bible correctly, we will always be singing. God has ordained his people to be a singing people. If you are like me, I really do believe that the church really loves to sing at Christmas time. That Christmas time that, that, that you see people just can't wait to break out the Christmas music. And it seems every year, it seems we break out the Christmas music sooner and sooner and sooner. When I was young, you never heard any Christmas songs. Before, thanks, before Thanksgiving, and now in our house on Thanksgiving Day, they were playing Christmas music. And I don't, and I don't blame people, for you know, for me personally, it's not Christmas until I hear for the first time every year Nat King Cole singing, chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Jack Frost nipping 
have your nose. Don't be hating. My wife will tell you. Yet I do know and praise God that indeed the best Christmas songs are those the songs that exalt in Jesus. Are those songs that remind us of the glory of the coming of the Son of God into the world. The best songs are the songs that proclaim the blessed news, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. One of the most beloved and most popular of these songs, indeed, is Joy to the World. The Lord has come. It was written by Isaac Watts. Isaac Watts lived in England from 1674 to 1748. And he proved to be one of the most prolific hymn writers in the history of the, the church. And he has given us some some of our most memorable songs. At last, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die. But he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I. That is Isaac Watts. When I surveyed the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died. That's Isaac Watts. He sang, I sing the mighty power of God that made the mountains Rise. But indeed, without question, his most known and most often sung hymn is Joy to the World. Joy to the World is the most published Christmas hymn in North America. And yet the history of the song is that it did not start out as a Christmas hymn. See, Isaac Watts sought to bring life and vibrancy to the church music of his time. For him, the music didn't sing of the glory and the majesty of Christ enough. Sounds like he could live today. And therefore, what he desired was to set before the church music that would extol and exalt Christ and yet be grounded in the scriptures itself. And so therefore he went about to set the psalms to music, to write from the psalms songs that would extol Jesus Christ. So he took many of the psalms and injected the, the understanding of Christ into them that the church might sing the glories and the wonders of Jesus. Joy to the World was one of those songs. It's actually based on Psalm 98, beginning in verse 4, where it says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre and with the lyre and the sound of melody. With trumpets and the sound of the horn, make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. 
And when you understand that joy to the world actually comes from Psalm 98, then it should put it in our mind that this is a song that actually we can sing all year long. And yet, the hymn has been adopted and sung primarily at Christmas. And beloved, I believe rightly so. For the theme of the hymn rings true with the message and the narrative that is the Christmas story. That is Christ coming into the world. And so this morning, what I want us to do is to look at this song in light of our text from Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. I want us to look at this song in light of our text and, and see and learn the biblical foundations on why we sing and why we should sing joy to the world. The Lord has come. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8, is a familiar text. I am sure most of us are familiar with it. I have no doubt in my mind that many of us could quote all of it or at least portions of it. We've heard it countless times. We've seen Linus quote it flawlessly and powerfully in a Charlie Brown Christmas. You know the story. Joseph has brought his pregnant wife to be married to Bethlehem. And Mary is set to deliver her child. But as they try to check in into a local hotel, the accommodations there are not available for them. And thus, she must give birth to Jesus in the stables. However, just outside of Bethlehem, clueless to the drama that is going inside, going on inside the city of Bethlehem, there were these shepherds doing what they had done, no doubt, countless nights before, quietly keeping watch over their sheep. They were keeping watch over their sheep and they were carefully guarding their sheep because they feared for dogs and they feared for wolves and they feared for men and beasts who might attack their flock. And yet little did they know that their greatest fear would not be from man or beast, but their greatest fear this night would come from the angels. Angelic beings. You see, while they were watching their flock, God was watching them. And seemingly out of nowhere on this clear night, this angel suddenly appears to them and they are wrapped up in the glory of God as it shone all around them. And naturally, beloved, they were afraid. Because biblically speaking, contrary to notions of popular religion, angels are not everyday visitors. 
But when they do come, they strike a fear in the hearts of men like nothing before. They were looking out for dogs. They were looking out for wolves. They were looking out for thieves, and they were looking out for robbers. They were not looking for angels. And suddenly, these angels appear. And the angels do what God's messenger always does to God's people, and that is comfort their heart. When the angel says to them, do not be afraid, for they have come to deliver the most blessed message the world has ever heard. Notice what the angel says in verse 10. Fear not. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. In, in other words, shepherds, don't be afraid. And in fact, fear no more, for I have a blessed message for you from God. I have good news that you can use. Good news. Now, beloved, this is, this is not just good news. Good news happens all the time. I got some good news this week. And we got a call from the, the, the administration over at Woodland Middle School saying that we can come and use their facilities on Sunday morning. That was good news. Man, was that news. But beloved, the news of having a place to worship. For East Point Church is one thing, but the news that the angel brings to the shepherds is a different kind of news altogether. And they say, fear not, for we, I have good news of a great joy. Not just good news for East Point Church and our friends. But this is good news for the entire world. He called it good news of a great joy. The, the Greek word in the original for great is the word megas. From which we get the word mega. It means large, it means full, it means loud, it means intense, it means rich, it means overflowing. What the angel says to these shepherds is, I got good news of mega joy. Mega joy. And this, beloved, is why we sing joy to the world. Because it's not just joy. It is mega joy. It is full. It is overflowing. It is rich. It is loud. And it is intense joy from God. And it is meant to be joy to the world. Why? Because all who receive it 
are pleased to embrace and receive mega joy. Why is this joy so great? Why do we sing joy to the world? Well, I believe Watts lays it out for us. He tells us why this joy is so full, why this joy is so mega, and why we ought to sing this wonderful, wonderful joy that has come to the world. We see it in the text that he has written, and we see the text that he has written founded and finding its foundations in the text of Scripture. Joy to the world, Watts says in the first line, the Lord has come. Why do we sing joy to the world? Why? Well, the first reason is because the Lord has come. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. This here, beloved, is the root of the joy that is ours at Christmas time. This is the source of our peace. The Lord has come. We sing it, but I think oftentimes we just sing right over it. But I want us to contemplate even those words this morning and the significance of them. The Lord has come. Notice what it says in verse 11 of the text. The angel says, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Christ the Lord. In the birth of Jesus, the Lord of glory took on flesh. Now, we call that the incarnation, but what we probably should, have call, we probably should call it is incomprehensible. And again, I think we just sing over it because we really don't contemplate the realities and the depth of understanding when the Bible says, for unto you is born this day Christ the Lord. Isaac Watts understood it. That's why it begins as him. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. The Lord has come. Understand, beloved, it is he who created the world who has now entered into this world. It is he who stands above and outside of time and space, has now condescended to enter into time and space. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. The Lord has come, not an angel. Not a prophet, not a messenger. He came himself. And this is important to understand because God has always sent messengers to his, his people. But this time, Isaiah's not coming. This time, it's not Ezekiel who's coming. Jeremiah's not coming. This time, it is not Elijah. It is not Michael. It is not Gabriel. It is God himself coming. There's one who has come who is greater than Moses, 
There's one who has come who is greater than David. There's one who has come who is greater than Solomon. It's the Lord who has come. The Lord has come unto you this day. It's born in the city of David. Christ. Christ the Lord. Now, who is the Lord? Who is the Lord? Well, does not Psalm 24 tell us that he is the king of glory? That's who he is. Who is the Lord? Philip read it this morning in in Psalm 18. Is not the Lord God? God himself. When Jesus comes into the world, beloved, it is God himself coming into the world. Could have read right there. Unto you is born this day in the city of David. Christ, God. God has come into the world. You read in the Bible, all throughout the Old Testament, they keep talking about the Lord. Who is the Lord? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Who is the Lord? Salvation belongs to the Lord. That's who the Lord is. Yahweh in the Old Testament. And when this baby is born in Bethlehem, he is called none other than Jesus Christ the Lord. Oh, don't you ever let anyone try to convince you that Jesus is not God. Here the Bible is showing us that that baby which is born in Bethlehem is himself the Lord of glory. The creator and the sustainer of all things. He is the Lord. That's why Ozzy Watts says, Joy to the world. Our God, our God has come. Our God has come. Let earth receive her king. And let every heart prepare him room. When Mary and Joseph got to the inn, they got to that hotel. The Bible says that the innkeeper tells them, there is no room in my, in my inn. But understand something, beloved. Jesus didn't come to take up residence in an inn. He came to take up residence in your heart and mine. He came to take up residence in your life and mine. The only question set before every human heart at Christmas time is, is there room for Jesus? 
Is there room in your life for Jesus? Now, not just any Jesus, not just that Jesus that walks around as a baby, he's meek and lowly, and he, and he cries in his mother's arm. I'm talking a grown-up, all-powerful, mighty Jesus who comes to reign in your life. The king of glory. Is there room for him? Is there room for him? Because when Jesus comes, he doesn't just come for a day. Jesus is coming to stay. Jesus just doesn't come as a stopover. Jesus comes to take over. And when he comes into your life, he changes everything. That's why Watts understood. Let every heart prepare him room. Because the only way you know him is if he's your Lord and he reigns and he rules in your heart. Let every heart prepare him room. Why? Because the Savior reigns. See what Watt says? Joy to the world. The Savior reigns. Someone has, has rightly said that, that people who do not believe in Jesus often don't mind singing about a baby born in a manger. But, but it is a little more awkward for them to sing about him being Lord of heaven and earth. And yet the good news that is filled with mega joy is not only that the Lord has come but that the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, reigns. He reigns. For unto you this day is born in the city of David a Savior. A Savior, a Savior. And you know what the birth of Christ does? The birth of Christ reminds us that God reigns. Because you understand that from the very beginning, the object and the goal of Satan has been to try to subvert and to undermine and even overthrow the rule and the reign of God. When the serpent comes to Eve in the garden in Genesis in chapter 3, what does he try to do? He tries to undermine and subvert the rule and the reign of God. She had the word of God, and, and the serpent comes and said, well, did God actually say that? Because the mission of the enemy has been from the very beginning to undermine and to overthrow, to subvert the kingdom and the rule of God. And in fact, throughout biblical history, the scheme of the devil has been all the same to undermine and overthrow his rule and reign in the world. This is the storyline of the Bible. Over and over again, it is Satan trying to undermine and subvert the rule and authority of God. This is what's going on behind the scenes with, when Pharaoh seeks to kill and destroy the nation of Israel in Egypt. 
This is ultimately what is going on when Saul is seeking to kill and destroy David. This is what is happening when when Haman determines to destroy and to wipe out all of the Jews under their rule. The coming of Jesus into the world is God asserting on earth what all of heaven already knew. Our God reigns. Our God reigns. Satan understands this. He doesn't want to admit it. And then he goes about trying to subvert it in the world. But Jesus Christ coming into the world is just another pronouncement of what he already knew. And that is our God reigns. This is what we say, beloved, when we not only sing of Jesus, but when we preach Christ. Everywhere we proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we are proclaiming our God reigns. We are seeking to overthrow and undermine the kingdom of darkness as we bring the kingdom of light to bear. Our God reigns. What the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 52 and in verse 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, and who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, our God reigns. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. He is Jesus Christ, the king, and he reigns. Isn't that what the wise men said to Herod when they came to him in Matthew chapter 2? When they come looking for Jesus, the wise men say to Herod, Herod, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? What they forgot to mention is that he was not only king of the Jews, beloved, but he was born king of kings, for he is Lord of all. And this is good news. This is good news of mega joy. God sending Christ into the world should assure you that your God reigns. That is is a source of comfort. That is the source of peace. That is the source of ultimate joy. Your God reigns. No matter what else happens, you can be assured that your God reigns. No matter how much sin tramples you down and even causes you to doubt your salvation, you can sing, my Savior reigns. No, no matter how much Satan tempts you to despair or others try to put a guilt trip on you, you can sing, my Savior still reigns. Our God, our God reigns. Joy to the world, my Savior That is the reason why we sing. 
joy to the world. Because the Lord has come. Because our Savior reigns. We sing joy to the world. Because the curse is reversed. Because the curse is reversed. See that in the third stanza of a watch song? No more than let sin or sorrow grow or thorns infest the ground. Now, when I was a young boy growing up in Michigan, we, out in the countryside, we played football and baseball wherever we could find the field. There was no nicely mown fields and lines on the field. The touchdown was right past the tree. The foul line was the bush. And those fields were full of what we call prickly bushes. And God have mercy if you ever fell into a prickly bush. I didn't know it then, but I know it now. That such thorns are the result of Adam and Eve's sin. Shame on them. Shame on them from putting a young boy simply trying to play football and baseball through such pain. And yet the Bible reminds us that it's thorns and thistles that populate the earth as a result of the fall of humanity in the sin. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 17, following their sin, God says to Adam, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat. Cursed is the ground because of you. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. Beloved, pain, sin brought pain and made life laborious. Sin caused the ground and work to be against us. It is because of the curse of sin that now the world would be ours, but only through back-breaking, callous-making, and often mind-numbing work. That's why it's hard. That's why work is difficult, oftentimes, because of sin, beloved. Know it. Know it. But do understand this, that work has not always been that way. When God created Adam and Eve into the world, he created them in a world that they were to subdue, and that world was to submit to them graciously. The labor of their hands was not going to be hard. To plow the ground was going to be easy. 
the fruit that was going to come up was not going to be thorns and thistles and prickly bushes. They could lay their head down on the ground. And the growth on the ground would feel like the comfort of your own bed. Because the world would not be against them. But sin changed all that, brothers. The curse of sin made that ground hard. The curse of sin caused their hands to, 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 to fight against the ground as they cry, tried to till it. It caused the ground to want to reject them laying their head upon it. Caused thorns and prickly bushes to grow up and to fight against them. This is why most of the time we get frustrated with our labors today. And we find the monotony and we find the numb, the, the mind-numbing activities of day in and day out going to our jobs, wondering is it ever going to end? Every day going to your job, hoping that you get the notice that you got a promotion or another position. Because of sin. And yet, here's the good news. The good news is not only has that not always been the case, but there is coming a time when that will not be the case anymore. The hope of the Christian is that in the coming of Jesus, God is keeping his promise to make all things new. The good news that is of mega joy, beloved, is not only that Jesus has come into the world, but that he is now transforming that world. And this is our hope. This is our millennial hope. The eschatology of Christians ought to be an optimistic eschatology, for we understand that God in sending Christ into the world has initiated a grand design of making all things new. Moment by moment, day by day. And Christian, understand, we are not pessimistic concerning the realities of Christ and this world, but we are optimistic because, as Watt says, he comes to make his blessings known far as that curse is found. Far as it is found. Wherever it is found, wherever those prickly bushes grow up, the blessings of Christ is coming and changing those prickly bushes to tulips. Real tulips. I'm talking about five-point tulips. It's changing it. The tulips. Beloved. Where is the curse found? Wherever it is found. Wherever sin is, there is 
the grace of God. As Romans chapter 5 and verse 20 tells us, wherever sin abounds, grace does much more abound. There, the gospel is able to transform and make new, reversing the curse. That's what the Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13, that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. The curse is reversed because the baby born in the manger bore it on the cross. Wherever that curse is found, there the transforming power of God is. It is found in this world. Christ, by the gospel, is transforming it. But more importantly, that curse is found in your heart and my heart. And as the gospel comes into our lives, it is reversing the curse of sin in our hearts and minds. And we are able, beginning to see things in the light of the glory that is God in Jesus Christ. And things are becoming new. Our lives are changing. For the promise of the kingdom of God, beloved, is life in an eternal kingdom where the curse is removed completely. Can you imagine that? Do you know that's the hope of the Christian? The hope of the Christian, beloved, is not simply to die and to go to heaven. That is not the hope of the Christian. The ultimate hope of the Christian is to be a part of the grand, glorious remaking of all things. Grand, glorious hope of the Christian is to behold the eternal kingdom of God where the curse of sin has been totally removed and to dwell upon a new earth where sin is no more. You know what the Bible, you know how the Bible describes that? The Bible describes that in, in Isaiah chapter 11, and verse 6. It says, And the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lay, lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together. Beloved, you... The reason why lions don't lie down with calves is because of the curse. The reason why wolves don't lie down with lambs. The reason why those shepherds are out there keeping watch over their flock is because of the curse of sin. But the hope of the Christian is that there is coming a day when shepherds won't have to keep watch over their flocks. You won't be locking your doors. You won't be afraid to go out at night. You won't fear the sin and the wickedness that is in your own heart. Because the wolf is going to lie down right next to the lamb and a little child. Even a little humble child will be able to lead in processional praise of God. 
all things will be made new. This is why we sing, Come thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. Free us from our fears and sin release us. Let us find our rest in thee. That is the promise. And that's why we sing, not only come then, Lord Jesus, but come now. Come quickly. Let us be done. Let us be done with the troubles of the world. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. This is good news of a great joy. He is not only setting us free, beloved, but he is making the world right. He is a wonderful king. The Bible and watch reminds us, doesn't he? That last verse of how he rules. He rules the world with truth and grace. With truth and grace. The coming of Jesus is good news of great joy because he who comes reigns. He reigns with truth and he reigns with grace. You do understand. As you look around, the world, turn on the news and read it on the internet, the world is filled with tyrants. Men and women who desire to rule over others and because of the sinfulness that is laden in their own heart, rule with a tyrannical fist and foot. And that is why people have said over and over again that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And that is because they have looked at this sinful world and sinful men and women seeking to rule and gain power only to rule with a tyrannical and wicked hand. Now, beloved, that statement doesn't apply to Jesus. And not only does not power corrupt, but he's got absolute power. And he rules with truth, and he rules with grace. You know what the Bible says about the coming of Jesus into the world in John chapter 1 and verse 17? It says the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Why? Because this is the tenor of his reign. This is the outline of his kingdom. He reigns in a gracious and true way. He's not a tyrant. When you enter into the kingdom of Christ, you enter into a kingdom that is full of grace and mercy and loving kindness. That's why the Bible tells us that the way of the transgressor is hard. For those who enter into the gracious rule of Christ understand in so many ways that every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. Not because you won't experience pain. Not because you don't experience loss in this world. Not because 
all of your bills are going to get paid and disease will no longer come to your front door. No. But because through it all, he proves his righteousness and the wonders of his love. That's why. That's why you sing. Because through it all, he proves the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. And Jesus, beloved, you flourish. In, in Christ, you walk in truth. You experience a world overcoming peace. You are covered by an unbreakable love. When you understand that, then, as Watts said, it is this song that you employ. It is this song with, that you employ, not only at Christmas time, but all the year long. You repeat that sound in joy. You repeat that sound in joy. And what is that sound? What is that sound? Don't get it twisted. It is not the sound of a baby crying in a manger. That's not the sound. It is the sound of a conquering king. Do you hear that sound? It is the sound of trumpets blowing. It is the sound of voices being raised in triumphant praise. It is the sound of the angels gathered around the throne singing holy, holy, holy. And every Lord's Day, God's people joining them in praise with hearts and hands lifted up, giving praise and glory to their king. Do you hear the sound? Do you hear that sound? Beloved, it is a sound that you long to hear, for it is a trumpet sound when he shall break forth through those clouds with the mighty sound of a trumpet. And the Bible says that the dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet him and to greet our king in the air and proclaim once again, joy to the world, our Lord has come again. Let earth receive her king. That's why we sing it, beloved. That's why we sing it. It's joy that we sing every year. As we remember that Jesus has come into the world. But even more than that, it is joy that we are reminded that he is coming again. Will you be ready? Will you have made room for Jesus? Oh, beloved, you make that room now. You receive Christ now. So when that trumpet sounds, in him you will be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless as standing before his throne. Joy to the world.
indeed our Lord has come. Let's pray.